Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. This edition of the podcast features highlights from the 2017 Unite event, CBA's International Convention in Cincinnati, sponsored by CBA, the Association for Christian Retail. This is the first of two podcasts being released this weekend. First up on this edition, you'll be hearing from the president of CBA, Curtis Risky, examining developments in the Christian retail industry. Then it's author Cynthia Rookti, who discussed a variety of elements with me, including a discussion of her novel, which has a main character who is a marriage expert, but his marriage is falling apart. Next, illusionist Rod Robison and Adrian Van Bachter join me at the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at CBA Unite to discuss what they do and how they illustrate how people, including Christians, are deceived. And on this edition of The Intersection, the founder of the Advanced Writers and Speakers Association, Linda Evans-Shepard, who visited the broadcast center to talk about the annual AWSA conference that took place in Cincinnati, as well as her latest book, which deals with elements of spiritual warfare. Then some encouragement to watch the words that we say to ourselves or that we allow into our minds. Comments ahead from author Karen Jordan. You'll also hear from Deborah Waterbury of Love Everlasting Ministries, who experienced the enemy's lies in her own life to the extent that she was living a double life. You'll hear her perspective on freedom in Christ. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. At the recent CBA Unite event at the Duke Energy Center in Cincinnati, Curtis Risky, president of CBA, the Association for Christian Retail, discussed various aspects of the event, developments in the Christian retail industry, and more. From that conversation, this is Curtis Risky. What's the purpose of the Unite event? Well, really for us, it's it's how do we how do we educate an industry that's that's changing and how, you know, technology is changing and everything's changing every day. Uh, brick and mortar is having to change along with it, you know, brick and mortar retail outlets. So how do we do that? You know, omni-channel retailing and those types of aspects that we're trying to educate our store owners on how to be relevant in their communities. And not just in terms of selling product, but how do they interact in their communities. For example, uh, a lot of times our stores are connection points for many churches in the area because they they can cross denominations. So we really see our stores as really the sort of mission points or, or, or missionaries in community as a way we like to think of them. And uh, so one of, the, one of the things we do at this event is really how do we equip those people to do what they do every day but to do it better and to give them new ideas about how to, how to change the face of retail uh, going forward because it's very different today. You can, you can purchase product online. You can, you can go at all different places. But I think our customers say we see ourselves in those stores. Those stores mm. represent us. You know, they, they care about what we care about. They share our values. And so I think our customers uh, that shop our Christian retail stores uh, really uh, sen- feel a sense of belonging there. And so we're, a, we're, we're really trying to um, basically encourage our stores to think differently about how they do retail. For example, doing events and things like that, talks on maybe various different topics that are challenging. You know, what, what does God say about uh, certain certain things. What does God say about uh, you know uh, parenting? What does God say about adoption? What does God say you know What does God's word say about these things? And and our stores can then help hold events and have speakers and presenters and authors come in and talk about those things. And that's a way, you know, you can do these things in churches and you and that happens all the time. 
But how do you get churches to unite together in a community? And I think sometimes the Christian store can be that vantage point or that place of opportunity where it's more neutral. They think of it as neutral, uh, where you might not darken the door of a church, but you feel comfortable going into a Christian store to hear about these kinds of Mm -hmm. things. So this is where we're trying to help stores position themselves and understand the role that they can play in their own communities. Well, let's talk about the theme for this year's event. It's Envision the Legacy. Mm -hmm. How does that play into this overall convention? Yeah, so, uh, you know, one of the things, you know, it's difficult. I think a lot of stores are are, uh, concerned about, you know, maybe lack of traffic and things like that. Obviously, we want to encourage them in ways that they can reach their community more and more and build traffic. But at the same time, it's also to take a step back and say, you know, there's a, we're part of this larger legacy. I mean, six, CBA has been around for 67 years. It started in 1950. So there's a legacy of history with us. But the, the idea of envisioning a legacy is also what's the legacy that we're creating today? And how do we go forward into the future with some of the ideas and, and things that we're trying to put together to help encourage stores to do things differently? And what is the legacy that they're going to leave going forward in their communities or, or, or in, you know, in the places that they do business. And it's, it's just kind of taking a step back and saying it's really important to acknowledge the legacy we've been a part of, but what are we also doing to build that legacy going forward into the future? Mm-hmm. Curtis Risky here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website cbaonline.org. More from the CBA United Event in Cincinnati. Here now is author Cynthia Rookty as she stopped by the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center to discuss a variety of topics, including her book, A Fragile Hope. From that conversation, this is Cynthia Rookty. A Fragile Hope takes a little bit different approach than some of the other novels that I've written, but I tell stories hemmed in hope. So obviously hope was going to play a big role in this <laughs> book, but the hopelessness of the situation was very prominent. It's it's told from the perspective of a male character, the husband in the relationship, rather than the wife, which normally that's the viewpoint we get in general fiction or or women's fiction. But this is a man who is a well-known relationship expert. He speaks to stadiums full of people. He writes best-selling books on repairing marriages and family situations. And he has clever quips of advice that he dishes out quite freely. And he's pretty proud of himself because of that. When he finishes the the, the manuscript for his most recent book that he sure is going to be a bestseller, he comes downstairs and finds that his wife has left him. And there's a medical situation that makes her unable to tell him why or what was going on or is this even true. So he has to live through the agony of deciding whether he's going to love and how he's going to love. And did he even understand what love was all about, even though this has been his profession for all this time? And he walks this very interesting journey to find his way back to what faith is really like and what the true definition of love is. So here you have a so-called marriage expert. He's a a Christian teacher, basically, Mm -hmm. relationship expert, go-to guy, telling people how to get their marriages right. In the midst of all of this, his marriage is falling apart and he didn't even recognize it. How did he miss things? 
Well, <laughs> I, I think that all of us do. If we get so, whether it's man or woman or child or parent, if we get so caught up in what we're doing and, and even maybe a little um, thrilled about the way that we're being used in our profession, no matter what that profession is, it's so easy to miss the signs in our own home. And in this particular case, Josiah, who is the main character, had a woundedness in his past, as many of us do, that contributed to that as well. His, his father had believed that he could do nothing right. And so to compensate for that, he was overcompensating. And that in itself helped blind him to the things that were going on in his own relationship. And that, that brings to mind a question. When we look, and you use that word overcompensate, mm-hmm. I wanted to have you elaborate just a bit. From a spiritual standpoint, what do you see as the tendency that people might have to overcompensate for some of the the woundedness that has gone undealt with by the Lord? I think a lot of times what we do is we throw ourselves into ministry. We take on more and more. We find more projects to do. We think that we're salving or bandaging our wounds by getting over-involved in, in whether that's ministry or our neighborhoods or, or whatever that might be. Or we pour our lives into our children and we don't refill so that we have something to pour into our children. Um, our spiritual well seems to take a... A, um, a last place on our list of to-dos. And instead, we're, we're, if we keep busy enough, maybe this won't hurt so much. And that's the opposite of what usually happens because we'll wind up crashing and burning. Or, or the other, another um, element that might happen is that we will compensate with things that the world is trying to tell us will salve our pain. Alcohol or drugs or... Um, affections with others who are that's not a wise affection friendships that take us away from the most important relationships that we have in our family and most importantly our relationship with Jesus Christ and oftentimes what God is calling us back to is his word and himself and the healing that we find there first and then the other things then ministry can be born out of that but instead Um, So many times we choose that option of taking what seems like an easy route or a shortcut to our healing instead of going to the source. Cynthia Rookti here on The Intersection. Her website address is Cynthia Rookti, that's R-U-C-H-T-I dot com. Well, Rod Robison and Adrian Van Vactor are illusionists. They visited with me at the CBA United event at the Duke Energy Convention Center in Cincinnati. In that conversation, they discussed the book Unmasking the Masquerade, Three Illusionists Investigate Deception, Fear, and the Supernatural. They're two of the three co-authors of that book. Here now are Rod Robison and Adrian Van Bacter. We don't expose the types of things that a performing illusionist would do on stage because that's, that's something that he or she does to make a living. We do, however, in the book, expose some of the things that so-called psychics or spiritualists or mediums are doing. One of those is called cold reading. Cold reading is a technique that you can learn uh, with quite a bit of practice where you can pick up cues from the person that you are reading and ask them certain questions and then start feeding back information to them. And if you're really good at it, which they typically are when they're on TV, 
they can, for the life of you, think that you, you, you might think they are reading that person's mind or you know something about their past, when in fact they're really doing what's just called cold reading. Another way is called hot reading. They find information on the side somewhere. They might do an internet search on that person, but they do hot reading. It's actual information that they draw from some other source in order to make that person think that they're reading their mind or, or saying something about their past. So there's a lot of different techniques. We talk about a lot of it in the book, uh, but that's just a couple of them. Mm. Well, let's talk about the ways that, that you want to share that believers these days are being deceived. What are some of the areas, Adrian, that you are seeing where believers are especially vulnerable? Well, they do give a lot of credit to the evil one. Uh, Hollywood and its depiction of the dark forces in the universe, uh, Satan, the devil, uh, I think by and large believers give him way too much credit. Yes, he's the enemy, but the Bible also tells us that he cannot touch us. He, uh, But I'll, I'll do events with uh, churches, pastors all the time, and if it's too hot out, they'll say, oh boy, that devil sure doesn't want us to do this event, and as if the devil could control the weather, or if something happens in their life, uh, they lose a job, or they get sick, they, they think somehow Satan has that kind of control over their lives when God's the sovereign one, and I think that's probably the most dangerous deception because it's so closely linked to the occult, the uh, perception that that people of faith have about what what those occultists are practicing, that somehow Satan is just in, in empowering them with all these magical powers. And it, it, it really is pure superstition. It's not biblical. Our field experience says otherwise, that these occultists, magicians, gurus, witch doctors are all using trickery and deception, that, that in the end, Satan's only power is in the lie, not in the effect. Mm. I can Let me give you an example. I did a uh, an investigation at a, a spiritualist medium town where there's a lot of psychics and spiritualist meetings and so on. And I talk about it in the book. Um, I, I went there and I saw a supposed pastor, but it was a pastor of a spiritualist church that was doing a magic trick to try to convince the audience that he had supernatural powers. Now, I knew exactly what the trick was, and I knew exactly how it was done. And yet, everybody in the audience was just brought to tears thinking that he was bringing a message from their loved ones who had passed over, right, who had passed away. And yet, he was totally, 100% faking it, and yet drawing these people into deception. And the reason they were so easily brought into deception is quite often because they fear and they are hurting, and they are in pain because of their loved one who has passed away. And they're coming to this person wide open for deception, and he was taking full advantage of that, literally using a magic trick. Hmm. It's very sad. I, I just finished my 54th international mission tour, and the superstitions that believers have over in, in other places in the world is is even more profound. I don't. It doesn't matter where I'm at. I... I find Christians living in such fear. I, I go to South Africa and I go to these communities where believers are going to the witch doctors during the week, trying to get curses removed from them, and then going and worshiping God on Sunday, who they say is a sovereign God, and yet they're paying these witch doctors to remove whatever problems they have in their lives and, and paying them to do it. 
it's it's such a scam. It's so sad. And and the the game is the same everywhere you go. It doesn't matter what they call them in their particular culture. If you go to uh, the Middle East, if you go to South Asia, you go to East Asia, uh, it's the same game. Rod Robison and Adrian Ben Bacter here on the intersection. The website address is unmaskingthemasquerade.com. Well, this is the Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House. Learn more through the website meetinghouseonline.info. There you'll find a link to the download center marked Meeting House On Demand through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection Podcast. You can also subscribe to the podcast and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three, Three Stories of Relevance to the Christian Community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House Radio Show. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Video content is accessible also. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Linda Evans-Shepard is the founder of the Advanced Writers and Speakers Association, as well as Write to the Heart Ministries, which publishes Leading Hearts magazine. She's the author of a book called Winning Your Daily Spiritual Battles, Living Empowered by the Armor of God. From a conversation at the CBA Annual Convention Unite 2017 in Cincinnati, this is Linda Evans-Shepard. I was the mom of a beautiful disabled daughter. Laura and Laura just passed and went to heaven mm. about 11 months ago. Oh my goodness. And mm. being the mom of a disabled child, I learned a lot about prayer. And then also being in ministry, I learned a lot about warfare. And I learned that you have to wrestle, you have to push back. And if it starts to get hot in the kitchen, that generally means that the Lord is about to move and the enemy is trying to distract you. And so the whole battle in warfare is really about our purposes. When you know each one of us has a purpose, for example, my daughter's purpose, disabled from a car accident, couldn't walk, um, uh, was paralyzed, couldn't really say very many words, but her purpose was to love and to be loved, and everyone has that purpose. And then beyond that, uh, we each have a unique purpose, and my purpose is to communicate and to inspire and to encourage other communicators, and so when I'm getting really close to that purpose, sometimes the enemy gives me a little pushback. And so what I have to learn how to do is to push through it. Hmm. Because it's wrestling. We have to push through and keeping our eyes on Jesus and realizing that he is the armor of our warfare. He is our salvation. He is our righteousness. He is our faith and he's our peace. He is our shield and he is our truth. And he's the one we're praying to, we're praying through, we're praying in. And when we put him on, the the devil is going to take off. Hmm. <laughs> He's not going to want to hang around. What did you find to be maybe one or two of the biggest spiritual challenges, especially in that season where you were dealing with your your daughter going home to be with the Lord? I think, you know, grief is, is something that can really impact a person in a loss. And um, not only was I grief stricken, I was really angry because someone at the hospital actually chose to uh, discontinue my daughter's medication behind my back and so I'm dealing with both grief and anger 
And what I really had to do to get through it is I I just had to give it to God. I had to say, God, I, I'm going to give you my grudge. It's not helping anything. There's I'm in a situation I can't really change what happened. I don't want to be stuck here in this anger. And when I gave God my anger, when I gave him my grudges, that was the best way I could have fought that warfare because I got my joy back. Hmm. Well, obviously there is a grieving process. Yes, people that is. have lost people close to them, loved ones, whatever the case may be, there is a there is a healing that takes yes. place in the midst of grief. But when you've got grief and you've got a grudge, yes, banging up against each <laughs> other, I guess when when yep. that anger is there, there's your, would I be correct in saying there's your warfare that's point? Right. That's that's what you really have to to walk through because if you get better. It seems like that would short circuit the healing or the restoration process. That's right. I was one mad mama, you might say, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and angry bear mama, and and yet that I didn't have an enemy to fight because it was over. The battle was over in, in terms of her life. But then I begin to realize my daughter still exists. Mm. She's in heaven, and I feel like if she could speak to us right now, she would say, "Mom, if you could only see me now." If you only could see how wonderful my life is now. Not that she didn't have love and joy in her life here on earth, but how much more with the Lord and with her grandpa. <laughs> how much more. And we miss her terribly. Hmm. But it was that moment I let go of my grudge that my joy began to come back. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. That is really the best way to defeat the enemy. It's just to trust God to the point that you can be joyful in trouble. The enemy cannot battle you when you are like that. Mm. Linda Evans Shepherd here on The Intersection. The website address is gottopray.com. More from the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at the 2017 CBA Unite event in Cincinnati. Author and speaker Karen Jordan discussed the power of words as she relates in the book, Words That Change Everything, Speaking Truth to Your Soul. Here now from a recent conversation is Karen Jordan. What I've found is if most women are like me, they can only think about one thing at a time. And so, you know, if, if you're focused on fearful thoughts, you really can't get past them. But when you begin to focus on truth and what God says about your situation, you really can't focus on the fear at that time. And so that's when I know it, you have to choose to focus on the truth and, um, and I know most Christian women really don't know how to apply God's Word to their heart. And in my book, I just, I just use my own life stories to just illustrate how I would, I would apply God's truth, you know, whatever the situation was in my life. Hmm. Do you think the Bible has a, a teaching with respect to fear and worry and their purpose in yes, our lives? Yeah. Well, what I've found with those worries— and anxiety and stuff like that, that our emotions are really natural. God gave us our emotions. And what I've learned is that he gave us those emotions to draw our attention to him, really. They're, to me, they're like red flags. Uh, my daughter taught me about this red flag thing when she was trying to um, teach her kids. She has two kids that were just fighting all the time, and they would get angry with each other. And she was trying to teach them to stop and think before they react. You know, like if a fire alarm went out, went off, you don't 
automatically call 911. You go see what the problem is, you know. And so it really began to help her kids, you know. And when she was telling me about that, I'm, I'm thinking, man, that, that principle can help me. Because when I see emotions coming up in my life, like a, those fire alarms or, or red flags, it shows me, you know, to stop, drop, and pray. Not, not stop, drop, and roll like it was a fire, but stop, drop, and pray and ask God, now why am I so anxious? And what do you want to tell me about this? And um, it, it's really helped me to deal with my own emotions. Mm. And, and they were pretty much out of control <laughs> with my mom's illness. Yeah. yeah. You, were, you mentioned that word stop. Yeah. And I think, you know, so often we get busy, 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 and things are, are going along in our lives. And sometimes we're, we're really riding that fine line between being in control or under the control of the spirit mm-hmm. and out of control. What would you say would be the significance of that word stop or the action of stopping, especially when someone is experiencing fear or worry in his or her life? To me, it's a choice. It's choosing, choosing to stop and, and focus on God during that time. I have another scripture that I that I use in the book to illustrate one of the things I do when those anxieties come or whatever, and it was from the book of Lamentations, and it said, when life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself, enter the silence, bow in prayer, don't ask questions, and wait for hope to appear. Well, see, that's stopping to me. Stop, go off by myself, enter the silence, and just ask God, Help me know what's going on and just give me a word and give me some hope and give me some direction on how to handle this situation. Mm. What have you found to be God's response when you approach him in that way? Every time. Now, I'm not saying that I have totally overcome Mm. the anxiety, but every time I choose to do that, I, I can sense his peace within me because I know the Prince of Peace lives in me. And when I ask him to show me or help me to get through it. He always does it. He never fails me in that way. Karen Jordan here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website karenjordan.net. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, it's Deborah Waterbury, founder of Love Everlasting Ministries. She and I had the chance to talk at the CBA event in Cincinnati, Unite 2017. She discussed material relative to her book, The Lies That Bind and the Truth That Sets You Free. In fact, in our conversation, she highlighted five lies that she believed in her own life. Here now from that conversation is Deborah Waterbury. You are worthless is the first one that I believed because, and you know, that's an insidious lie because it is, um, your worthless is, is similar to you're not worthy. And, and the truth, and there's some truth in that because I'm not worthy of the Lord. I'm not mm-hmm. worthy of Jesus. I'm not worthy of that love that was bestowed on me when I was 11. And, that, and that's when the enemy, and that's why Satan is so crafty at what he does, because he takes something that sounds like truth, and you're not, we're not, especially at 11 or at 12, I'm not smart enough to be able to see the difference between that. And your worthless sounds very similar to that, because you're not worthy is true, but your worthless is not true. But I don't, I'm, you know, it's hard for us to see the difference in that. Mm. And I grabbed your worthless with all that I was, was and, and believed it. And so you're worthless was the first yeah, lie. Yeah. And, you know, so many women and so many men believe that, especially after they're molested or abused in some way, because you think you must be worthless. And unfortunately, what you do after that is you want to gain some control over that or you want to have, have to you're going to get back to 
if I'm worthless, then what do I need to do? What do I need to do so that I'm not worthless anymore? So what happens is the world tells you, well, you have to find something so that you cannot be worthless. And then the next thing that I believe was that I have to have an image then. I've got to do something so that I'm not worthless anymore. So my image became everything. Get something to that you, so that you can not be that little chubby, ugly little girl that had, was worthless. And so image became everything. And so I began to build these images. I began to build these things that so that I could have be make everybody happy and find that love image became everything. Mm -hmm. And so that was lie number two. And you know, the world tells you that, doesn't it? I mean, we just have oh, to look at goodness. Hollywood. Yes. And yep. There's lots sure. of reality shows out there that are built on images, everything. And that's so that was lie number two. Lie, lie number three was that I had to be in control and that it was good to be in control. That um, I, I could that I could, that could be strong if I was strong, and and the world tells me that being strong is good. Strong women are good, in particular, that um, that uh, a strong woman is a good woman, and I believed that. And you know, again, there's some truth to that. There's nothing wrong with being strong. Being strong in the Lord is good. Being strong in Jesus is good. But what we do is we leave out that in the Lord or in Jesus, and it becomes being strong in Deb or being strong in ourselves. And we, and we, and we can't really disseminate between those things. It's, it is insidious, and we lose the truth in that little small bit of a lie. But I, what I find I tell women often is that the, the enemy takes truth and skews it just a hair. And if you skews it a hair, then before you know it, you're off. You know, it's like being following a compass that's off just a degree you don't know that you're fall, you're going so far off course because you're just going off a degree until you've mm -hmm. moved for a while and then you're really really off course you don't know it and so being strong is is a is a terrible lie because you're being strong in self and so i, I believed that one and you know when you build those lie those walls of strength you're, you're you what you don't realize is you're you're the one behind that wall all by yourself mm. and you're not being strong in the lord Line number four was that I, I felt that I, I deserved everything that I was getting. And I was getting a lot of condemnation, um, a, lot of, a lot of judgment, a lot of when I finally did repent and when, I, when the fall happened and I was on my face before the Lord and I was on my face before those that I had betrayed. Um, there, is a, there is a lot of, it's difficult when, when, you know, I went back to David often and he was my comfort because David also fell badly with Bathsheba and Uriah. Then he didn't, you know, he didn't repent. He didn't necessarily at first. He got caught just like I did. And there was a lot of his repentance was still nonetheless and his forgiveness was nonetheless real. Um, but it was very difficult for those around me, many of them, to see that it was genuine because I got caught. Mm. And hmm. so there's a, there's a, there's a, we do have to hold each other accountable and we do have to judge sin. There is a, a definite truth in that, but there's a, a, a line between judgment of sin and condemnation that it's very difficult for we as believers to walk. And, and it became difficult for those around me to not bring me under condemnation. And it was very difficult for me to not bring myself under condemnation. And so I often would take that condemnation in terms of, okay, I deserve all of this. And so therefore I'm going to take the condemnation. And then I took that as I can pay for this myself. And the fifth lie is it's over. Deb Waterbury joining me at the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at CBA Unite 2017. Her website address is debwaterbury.com. 
Well, that just about wraps up this edition of the Intersection Podcast. The first of two podcasts released this weekend, consisting of material from the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at the CBA Unite 2017 event in Cincinnati. You can learn more about the Intersection Podcast and the Meeting House Radio Show by going to meetinghouseonline.info. There you'll find a link to the download center. You can also subscribe to the podcast through that homepage. There are two blogs accessible. One is the three, three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is the front room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Video content is accessible also. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.